Hey, this is Sean Tepper, the host of Payback Time, an approachable and transparent podcast on building businesses, increasing wealth, and achieving financial freedom. I'd like to bring on guests to hear authentic stories while giving you actionable takeaways you can use today. Let's go. My next guest shares a fun story of how he got into finance and then helped grow a company from zero to 80 million ARR, and soon after that started another company that went out of business in less than two years. The life of an entrepreneur definitely has its peaks and valleys, and his story is a great example. However, his latest B2B SaaS business has definitely found product market fit and traction. In this episode, he talks about the business model, how much they charge, how they market and sell, and financial tips business owners can apply to their own business. Please welcome Christian Marquez. Christian, welcome to the show. John, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. So why don't you kick us off and tell us about your background? Uh, My pleasure. So um, today I serve as founder and CEO of uh, Finstrap Management. We provide accounting finance reporting services for high net worth individuals, venture capital firms, and early stage businesses with a focus on B2B SaaS. And last week marked our seven-year anniversary. And getting to this point, though, is somewhat of an exciting story. So uh, by way of background, because it generally comes up, a service academy graduate uh, ended up getting a degree in general engineering, not accounting and finance. Took that route uh, because just love of numbers, uh, very objective like answers. Uh, but after I got out of the service, I knew I wasn't going to be an engineer um, and found that accounting and finance best suited my personality. So I had a variety of roles working predominantly in the investment space. For your listeners who are familiar with the industry, I ended up getting a professional designation called a CFA, so Chartered Financial Analyst Charter Holder. Uh, This year, uh, this May actually marks uh, two decades uh, as a charter holder. And really, a lot of it stemmed from the marriage of understanding P&L, balance sheet, but making decisions around that information. Next big step in my career after I got the charter was 2004, I got hired as a financial analyst for what was effectively an early stage business doing professional consulting uh, work. CEO was a go-getter, very sharp, driven. He saw an opportunity in healthcare IT, number of changes taking place in the industry. And so he pivoted the company into taking advantage of uh, working with predominantly health insurers. So think Aetna, United, the Blues. Mm-hmm in providing them a whole host of services around uh, risk adjustment, quality measurement, reporting, and improvement. So I effectively got tasked from, hey, yeah, we need you to be a financialist to, we need you to be a product manager. Uh, We think you're smart and you have a tremendous attention to detail, which is going to be needed for this role. And so over the following nine years, accumulated a whole host of experience, responsibility, and in the final two years of that nine-year stint, uh, Obamacare gets passed, and we're effectively in the right place at the right time. I get asked to effectively build an intra company. It was it was a multi person effort, but I I will take credit for doing a bringing a lot of the vision to life and doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Effectively, it was a predictive analytics solution coupled with uh, clinical interventions. We were working with Medicare Advantage members, and we I ended up having a material hand in taking that business from zero to 80 million ARR in two years. In the course of it, our work was effective as well. So after a first full year working with a whole host of health plans throughout the country, 
to include Puerto Rico, Hawaii, rural, metropolitan in between. So it was, it was a significant, diverse sample. We had about a fifth of all of the privately insured Medicare members in the country enrolled in our program. And we outperformed um, the rest of the country by multiple standard deviations. So that company's investors knew me, were bullish on me, encouraged me to break out on my own. And after nine years, it was kind of easy uh, to do. And so I ended up co-founding a telemedicine company in 2014 um, with uh, two physician co-founders. Ended up raising two and a half million pre-revenue. Anyone's interested in seeing the um, the business plan, they can go to my LinkedIn profile. It's Christian with a K, Marquez. And if you scroll down to the project section, I've posted it there for everyone to take a gander. Um, this was all written pre-chat GPT. But fast forward two and a half years later, we closed the door having generated less than $100,000 in revenue uh, and learned a tremendous, I mean, I'm hardwired to win, but nevertheless, learned a ton. And one of the biggest lessons I learned and I share this with all entrepreneurs, is there's no, you can have the most incredible idea on the face of the planet. It doesn't matter unless someone's willing to give you money for it. Right. And um, again, I, I reference the business plan because if it, it's just, it's a walking, breathing document of just logic and rationale. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter. And so at that point, I realized I wanted to get back uh, to my accounting and finance roots. I mean, God bless healthcare, but it kind of, it had picked me. And so I, I started uh, Finstrat and just for my love of debits and credits and FP&A and dashboards and models. And um, so far, so great. Um, you know, today we work with over 30 businesses, uh, majority of which are B2B SaaS, uh, peppered with uh, a handful of high net worth individuals and venture capital funds. Very fortunate to capitalize on a lot of lessons I've learned over the years working with really smart, hardworking people who share a passion for being excellent as compared to mediocre. And I've, I found that in my experience, it really is a difference between coming at the market with A players versus non-A players. Mm -hmm. That's definitely been a big part of our success, um, not, notwithstanding just some you know other unique approaches we take to the market. Awesome story, love it. Thanks for sharing the context there. You're a sharp guy, but you had a business failure in there. And I think a lot of people, a lot of listeners have been there as well, including myself. Um, but your your business today, how many employees? Um, we are pushing 30. Wow. Nice. Okay. And why don't you dive into Finstrat a little bit? What does it specifically do for the customer? So it's a great question. And this actually really comes down to more of... It's it's more important what our services yield than there it is how we do it. So if I were to pull up one of our service agreements, you're going to see in there debits and credits, reconciliation, creating invoices, collections, facilitating payroll, a whole laundry list of items that you would anticipate being in the back office. Yep. But the irony of it is, is while our clients understand the value of the work, they're more interested in our value prop. And our value prop can be distilled into two things. Thing number one is what I call fix it once. Number two is assist monetize the business. So fix it once. I have a lot. There are no shortage of competitors in the space to include companies who do their own accounting and finance. Um, my experience has been, this is my experience, that 99% of the financials and processes that we inherit when we onboard a new client 
are a mess. It's just a degree. And it's not because it's a new client or because the founders don't know accounting and finance or because they weren't being prepared by a competitor firm of accounting and finance staff. Um, My sense is a large part the way the industry charges their fees, they're they're not one and two, as a consequence, how many clients they'll assign to accounting and finance team doesn't position them to dot I's and cross T's. And so just again, by virtue of the work that I see that we inherit all the time, it's more of a, hey, just get this done. You know, mm-hmm. go to the banking page within QuickBooks and just post everything. Whether or not it's classified appropriately or the charge of accounts are set up correctly or you appropriately accrued revenue expense, eh. But by virtue of the space we're working in, investor-backed companies, where they're, for the most part, not everybody, but they have their sights set on the brass ring. They want to monetize their business. You know, they're looking for, you know, eight plus figure exits. Right. Um, You can't create a dashboard or a budget or a forecast if the underlying financials are not appropriately put together. And so we as an organization recognize that. And we realize that if our clients are going to want to monetize their business, um, all the back office debits and credits needs to be clean so that we can present uh, or we can provide business intelligence in the form of dashboards that provide accurate insight on a timely basis nice. as to what their re- revenue is, but more importantly, what are the components, new expansion, churn, um, help them understand what they're genuinely spending to acquire a business, how long it takes for them to recoup their cash when they do, um, what's the value of a customer, what's the impact of higher or lower pricing on their performance. Everyone, I, I think, would agree there's value in knowing the answers to those questions, but it's somewhat inconsequential if you're putting garbage in the machine. Right. Um, and so, anyway, answer your question, it's we've structured our offering to fix it once by being responsive, minimizing the amount of clients we'll assign to a team. By consequence, we're able to do that because our fees, I find, are higher, uh, at least what I can, I know anecdotally. Uh, or I can see when we onboard a new client. Um, but also just this understanding that these founders, you know, they're looking for an exit, whether it's in a year or half, half a decade. Um, and they know, I know, we know that they need support in order to tell their story. Right. So it sounds like you have the, the technology plus a team of people to really keep the financials squeaky clean. So um, we do, um, you know, and this actually dovetails into just conversations that I find myself in with entrepreneurs and founders and, you know, how do you identify solutions whereby people are willing to part with money? I I sometimes get the sense that there's a a belief that you have to create a new invention, a new widget. And my experience has been is that's not the case. And really, I think it more begins with the mindset of just being amazing. And on the surface, you're like, okay, well, what does that really mean? Well, it means being so good that people want to do business with you. Right. And I probably everyone who's listening to this would agree that they've dealt with vendors, whether it's commercial or, uh, you know, like consumer or business, where you're just kind of like, really? That's my experience? And and so it's not a foregone conclusion that organizations do a great job. And so there's an opportunity in and of itself. I think the other big one 
that I've more appreciated over the year is this idea of taking an existing idea and just also in a, in a complex space and simplifying it for people. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, there are probably no shortage of examples we can use. You know, probably a fun one everyone understands is Tesla. Yeah. Cars have been around for over 100 years, yet despite the fact that they're electric vehicles, I mean, Elon has taken something that's extremely complex and is making it very affordable. And so I think that is a great example, because if you can own your space in that regard, you have staying power. You know, then whether or not you you know you continue to lower your costs or charge a premium is another story. Um, but I, I said another way, I think a lot of times you entrepreneurs and founders can take a simple approach, more complicated, the more opportunity, and then really just focus on simplifying it on behalf of their customers. And that's kind of the approach that we've taken uh, with our company. Um, if I had to distill our activity, it's accuracy and timeliness. Founders want to know where they stand quickly. You know, let's call it the first two weeks of a new month. Mm-hmm. Um, but they also, it doesn't matter how quickly you get it unless it's accurate. And so depending on the size of the business, uh, client count, vendor count, employees, there are a whole host of inputs that um, dictate how long the close process takes, what's your degree of accuracy. And what we're looking to do is able to offer that to the market at scale. And because there are unique nuances as it pertains to B2B SaaS companies, they um, they have a big dependency on what they call subscription or reoccurring revenue. And if you sell a service for 12 months, there is unique treatment that needs to take place in order to recognize that revenue on the P&L and the balance sheet. Um, but unless you're familiar with it and have, have established reconciliation processes, it's not accurate. And again, kind of going back to my my earlier reference, many of my competitors, I just don't think price their services to actually take the time, energy, and effort it takes to make that right. And all the downstream effects it has, it takes yeah. what you don't is significant. No, that's brilliant. With your your business, can you give us an idea what you're charging your customers, low end to high end? Yeah, so um, fee wise, we're high four figures a month. Okay. Though it varies depending on the size of the business. You know, in simplest terms, uh, the larger the company, the more work there is to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's a variable component in how we assess our fees. Uh, that said, I'm I'm very sensitive to buy versus build. And so um, we we bring an entire team to an implementation for a whole host of reasons. Uh, if you look at an accounting department, you have bookkeepers, staff accountants, controllers, CFOs, financial analysts. All of them serve different roles and functions. But because we're offering our our services are intended to mimic an in-house team, um, but I still want to get business. I have to be a fraction of the cost. So. Depends on the size of the client, but I'll be anywhere from a fifth to a third if you were to go employ a commensurate. A commensurate. Right. That's a good way to position it marketing-wise. Yeah, I mean, I I wish I wish I would have like bookmarked this, but like a, over 10 years ago, I came across a white paper where a bunch of researchers were looking at the most profitable companies in the S&P 500 over like the, the last 20, 30 years. And the, there was only one variable that they were able to hone in on, that they found out of companies that were able to generate the most free cash flow, and it was pricing. 
the thing that they had in common was that they were considered to be charging fees that were higher than their competitors. And that wasn't lost on me. Now, I don't, I don't win all my business. Um, and sometimes people tell me they think my prices are high, but I also also learned there's two different types of buyers. There's value sensitive mm-hmm. and price sensitive. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I'm interested in value sensitive because the business I'm in building and investing in is pro- providing five-star white glove service. And if that's important to you, I will find you or we'll find each other. But if you're really at the end of the day, you're just wired to say, I don't care. I don't want to pay a lot. We're not a fit. Right. Um, because I know what's going to happen. You will always ask me to lower my prices, no matter how amazing of a job I can, I'll do. Um, and for that reason, I'm, yeah, I'm, I've turned business away too. I'm like, we're not a fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not going to be nickel and I don't want to nickel, nickel and dime my clients, but I also want to be, have a experience of cut. What was it? A thousand cuts of a thousand, a thousand cuts death. Yeah. Or, death by a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of alluded this a few minutes ago, which is, you know, your platform sounds like it's not just your platform, but your team, your service. It's for the people who really need to be, or they need to have a high attention to detail. So you serve SaaS, you serve venture capital, and every penny needs to be accounted for because especially like I've, I've got a B2C SaaS. We serve the retail investor and you have to be so clean on the books because someday, someday, if somebody were to approach us and they want to acquire us, it better be airtight. With financials and you, you know, if you're dealing with businesses, you most likely do have a lot more experience in this regard. People who are a little, they're not so clean with the books because they're not focused on that. They're focused on serving their customer, whether it could be a manufacturing company or a service business, or maybe it's a restaurant. It's like, Hey, we got customers to help. We'll get to the books later. You know, so once a month practice and you get to it and then another month goes by another month. And it's like, it's never, it's never that clean, but it's good enough. But they're not looking, they're not facing that six, seven, eight, nine X multiple. Yep. Right. So um I, I deal with this on a regular basis. Uh so yeah, <laughs> so a little bit a little bit of context. Uh we lead uh, audits on behalf of our clients on a regular basis. So working with auditors who are being audited mm-hmm. because they have investment docs where the their participants require an audited uh statement from the C-suite every year. We participate in closing uh, debt facilities, uh, priced equity rounds, safe convertible notes, take your yep. pick uh, with our clients. And to your point, I mean, depending on the size of the raise, these investors become more sophisticated and they they know their stuff to the point where they can look at a set of financials or performance KPIs and know what they're looking at is within the realm of uh, reasonableness or something's off. Yes. And so, um, like I said, I know my space is looking for founders who understand that that's what they are going to encounter if they're going to sell their business. And um, I then, so that's thought number one. But thought number two is, you know, there's a, an English economist from the 1800s. His name is David Ricardo. I I don't know how many years ago I came across David, but he has this, he came up with the, uh, the theory of comparative advantage. And simplest terms, it says, focus on what your highest ROI activity and then don't do anything else. Now he's oversimplifying it, but there's real world examples today of companies that have adopted this approach. Uh, Apple, great example. Their margins are phenomenal because they realize that their strong suit is design. It's not manufacturing. 
So what do they do? They have service contracts with Foxconn and other providers to prepare their, their, to create their products. Um, what do you know, in low cost areas, i.e. China. Uh, Ikea, another great example. Um, you go through their, their, their showroom and there's nothing but furniture, but really the company only designs furniture. They don't manufacture any of it. They have partners who do all of that. Right. And so there's tremendous benefit because if you don't have to maintain any of that capital equipment on your balance sheet, your margins are materially better. So question is, okay, we're not Apple, we're not Ikea, um, but is there a parallel for businesses, early stage businesses under 50 million, $100 million in revenue? The answer is yes. I would say, generally speaking, founders are best served focusing all their time on product development and sales and marketing. And I, maybe I, I can debate on sales and marketing, but it's not legal. It's not accounting. It's not human resources. You have a whole host of professional services support where I would argue that's not your core business. <laughs> Why are you going to devote uh, an FTE on your budget when that can go to an account executive or an engineer? And so mm-hmm. now there's, there's break-even points. And the way I think about it, I get asked this question is, well, what point does it make sense to bring it in-house? And I would say it really becomes a point where a C-suite simply wants 100% of time yeah. of a CFO. Um, or, or, I mean, really, it's usually it's the CFO because, I mean, they're, I don't want to say, they're less interested in the accounting and finance. But up until that point, yeah, I think it makes most sense to outsource non-core functions to people who that's all they do um, because you'll get a much better uh, problem. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Let's take a quick commercial break. So do you have an interest in investing in the market, but you're not sure where to start? In that case, I invite you to join Ticker for free. However, if you want to go a step further and really get up to speed, you can go to Ticker EDU. So check this out. If you go to ticker.com and then click on courses, it'll take you right to Ticker EDU, which includes a few courses such as Stock Investing for Beginners that can help you get up to speed in about a week or less. And then I also have How I Get the Most Out of Ticker, which shows you exactly how I use Ticker in every way, shape, or form, and even has a few real life stock reviews within. So if you want to start investing with confidence, I invite you to check out Ticker EDU. How, this is a question more geared towards our, our founders out there that are building a B2B SaaS business. And marketing and sales is not always easy. Um, so how are you marketing and selling your business? It's a quick question. Uh, so uh, uh, come uh, additional context. Um, so today, while I'm the CEO and I'm, I focus majority of my efforts on corporate and sales and marketing. But when I started the company, I was wearing a fractional CFO hat. And I think I maxed out at seven clients before we grew to the point that I had to hire another CFO to take over my clients. Um, but it put me, it, it complemented my personal experience with watching our CFO, our CEO clients and how they approach sales and marketing. And um, effectively, I, I've adopted um, what I call lessons I've saw, what I saw work and what I didn't work. And so I, I do think there's a blueprint. Not saying it's a one size fit all, but I mm-hmm. think it works really well. Um, and so I'd say anyone, whether it's B2B SaaS or other, who's starting a company, your your number one job is to make sales predictable. And that's either because you have product market fit or because the sales, the sales and marketing machine is set up to a point where you can go on vacation and leads still come in the top of the funnel and and can you can still close deals 
relative to your budget, what you're anticipating to close. My opinion is that in the beginning, founders should be focusing all their time and energy and effort until until they hit that predictable, predictable revenue milestone. Where I see founders go wrong is they get in their head that they need to go hire a VP of sales out of the gates. And uh, Jason Lemkin, who runs Saster, has a great uh, term I read that I like. He says, like, you know, go hire a VP of sales and sprinkle some, sprinkle some sales on it. And, and when I hear that, it's kind of like, yeah, you're a founder. You're like, I don't think you're lazy because you started a company and you're you're probably got hustling DNA, but I don't think it works like that. You know, a VP of sales intended to be a closer and manage AEs, not manage a pipeline. And so I think there is a path and the path is founders know their business the best. Um, they create a set of repeatable processes and then you go out and hire two AEs, teach them and confirm that you're on the right track because they can imitate you yeah. and start hitting their quota. Once that team gets big enough, then you go hire, hire a VP of sales. Um, on the indirect front, um, I don't think there's anything new I can say that I, that the rest of the world doesn't already know. People want to deal, um, well, maybe there is, people want to deal with people who are, who are really sharp and know their stuff. And so um, I'm not, I don't have a marketing background, but I've done some reading. Uh, for your readers who are interested in the subject, I'd suggest checking out David Ogilvy. I understand he's since passed away, but um, you know, I understand David's considered the father of modern marketing. And uh, there's a fun uh, David Ogilvy story I heard a long time ago, but it really resonated with me. And I, I think it, it, it it's matured today with, with what you see a lot of people putting out white papers or blog posts talking about what they do. And basically, David was a big proponent of showcasing expertise. And so I think when he recently started his firm, he was expensive. Good on David. Mm -hmm. um, but he had a... Um, uh, an owner who made shirts approach him and said, look, David, I can't afford you, but I'll pay you what you can. And, but I'm going to encourage you to take my business because I'll give you free artistic control. You can do whatever you want. And that piqued David's interest because he's a, he's an artist or creator at heart. Mm -hmm. And so he took the business and created a campaign where he explained exactly how the shirts were made and the founder lost it. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you telling my competitors how we make our shirts? But you don't become the you know father of modern marketing without having some good sense. And the the guy's sales went through the roof. And Ogilvy's logic was simply: look, people just want to buy great shirts, but no one's saying why their shirts are going to last forever or why you're going to look as good as you are. So let me tell you why I'm making this up double stitching or using this fabric or using this cut yes. you know, makes you look better. And so I think today that's opportunities to showcase subject matter expertise are very valuable, whether that's podcasts, webinars, white papers, what have you. And um, so we look to do that ourselves because we, I've realized that people just want to do business with competent people who care. And so, um, um, I still, I have a big hand, uh, in sales and marketing. Um, I coincidentally, I'm, I'm most likely hiring my two AEs, uh, this year in terms of lead gen, uh, we get a lot of referrals. Um, uh, so organic growth, um, 
but we also do a lot of um, email campaigns. Right. Um, I mean, our our open and close rates, I'd say, are industry average. But the reality of it is, is my ROI is asymptotic. I mean, it's you can't beat it. Um, and the other thing is, I don't play golf. I don't live in the Bay Area. I'm in Bozeman, Montana, and um, I like it here. And so this gives me reach where otherwise I'd have to be on a plane, you know, adding the world's carbon footprint where I can, I can be doing a lot more at my desk. That's cool. Yeah. And knowing that you provide a, a five-star service, you create an easier, I would say an easier lead gen process via referrals. If it was like three-star, four-star, you're not as apt to get those referrals. But if you're going over and above, people are seeing that they're going to talk about you and be like, Hey, you should really should talk to Christian over here. He's doing, he's doing something different. Yes. Uh, agreed. Now I think, you know, for your listeners who are in professional services, um, I still have room for improvement. Um, I'm hardwired to be awesome. Um, but I also, I realize you know, entropy is real. You know, for example, I, I don't look at clients books before they sign an agreement. And so it's very difficult for me to say, Hey, it may take us two months to clean it up. It may take half a year, depending on what we inherit. But I have to manage those expectations. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, you can imagine sometimes it can be hard to close business. And I'm like, hey, this may take a long while. Like, what do you mean it may take a long while? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what I'm going to get. And if if passes prologue, it's going to take a while to fix this. And, you know, I have good problems to have. Um, and I think if anything, it just comes down to expectation setting. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, that coupled with the fact, though, that psychology is real and people always want to see W's along the way. So I've kind of learned, it's like, well, we have all of our implementations are led by fractional CFOs. And, you know, we're looking to provide, you know, evidence that we're making progress. But it's like, how do you how do you show someone that their payroll is now appropriately classified between Mm -hmm. cost of sales and the three OPEX buckets? It's like, just show me my dashboard. And I, I appreciate it. I mean if I was in their shoes, I would feel the same way. But um, I think that's where the, in my case, where our complexity lies is how do you, how do you fix somebody as absolutely quickly as you can? Yeah. Understanding I can't staff to to peak uh, workload because uh, I have to maintain some, some degree of margins as well. Right on. No, that's good. And then before we jump to the rapid fire round, what is one key takeaway you can give to the aspiring entrepreneurs out there? Um, they're a whole host. I'll do two things. I'll, um, mm-hmm. I recently came across uh, someone who had summarized nuggets of wisdom John Rockefeller shared with his son. They pulled it out a bunch of letters he had written in the early 1900s. And I read it now uh, once a week on my Saturdays because there's a whole host of really good ones in there. Three in particular really resonate with me. Um, action creates opportunity. And so I think a lot of times people perseverate because they're not, they don't have the future's unknown. And so they what if themselves to death. And so I would say, I agree with John, just go do, even if you're not 100% clear, because the reality of it is if you do an amazing job, people will give you additional things to do. Because I don't think people realize that awesome, hardworking people are in the minority. And so people will gravitate towards him. I'm not going to get this right, but he says something to the effect of enthusiasm amplifies success. Hmm. I'm kind, I'm in kind of an introvert. 
and I don't know, I won't say that I'm flat, uh, but I'm, I'm, I tend towards the serious type. But there's, I think there is truth to coming at things with high energy. And um, I can't tell you why, but it makes a difference. And if you force me to give you an answer, I think when you're in a leader and people see that you're passionate about what you're doing, it can be contagious. Mm-hmm. But you gotta, you have to be sincere, genuine. The third one is a little bit dark, but I like it. And it says something to the effect of, uh, to retreat is to surrender. Retreat will make you a slave. The war is inevitable. Let it come. And I think there's a couple of ways you can interpret that. But my sense is that I don't think anyone, I don't think, I think maybe in the back of the mind, we know that there's no such thing as perfection, that the road is long and rocky and there's going to be bumps and there's going to be setbacks. But I think if you asked everyone to really just admit that that was the case, they'd agree. That's the case. And so if that is true, why, why would we kind of flinch? Why not embrace it? Right. Why not say, okay, you know, figuratively speaking, if there's going to be a fight, let's go. What, what am I going to be afraid of? If I'm doing a great job and I'm going to work, okay, you want to fight? Let's fight. And I, again, I, I think that I'm trying to encapsulate a spirit here versus suggesting I'm going to fight my fighting. Of course. We got you. <laughs> I, I, my sense is that it's a very healthy mindset to have because you realize that this is just life and it's gonna, there's things that are going to get thrown at you and it's better just to embrace them than it is to, than to, to kind of jump out of the way. Fight it. Yeah. Great, great tips from Rockefeller. Awesome. All right. Let's dive into the rapid fire round. This is the part of the episode where we get to find out who Christian really is, if you can. Oh. Yeah, here we go. Begin. Try to answer each question in about fifteen seconds or less. You ready? All right. What is your favorite podcast? Uh, Joe Rogan. Nice. All right. What is a recent book you read and would recommend? Uh, Alex Harmozy's a hundred million dollar offers. Kind of sitting on my desk over here. Um, All right. Favorite movie? Uh, Indiana Jones: The Raiders of Lost Ark. I'm going with the first one. Nice call. All right. A few more serious questions here. What is the worst advice you ever received? Oh boy. Um, it wasn't so much advice as it was a comment someone made to me that just managed to stick with me. And um, I don't think she's ever going to listen to this. So I won't worry about hurting her feelings, but she knows I love her with all my heart. I remember in high school, I told my mom I was going to beat the high school's half mile record. And she told me I couldn't do it. I now understand as a parent that she told me that because she didn't want my feelings to be hurt if I didn't accomplish it. And for your listeners or parents, I think we can all appreciate that. But I think it was just a realization that, you know, let the cards fall where they may, whatever you want to set your sights on, go for it. Love it. But you're right. I didn't, I didn't make that. I didn't break that. <laughs> you didn't. I was going to ask you, <laughs> did you break the record? I didn't. That was a second off, but oh well. All right. Hey, in a mile. Not bad. Yeah. All right. What is the best advice you ever received? Oh, gosh. Um, probably the flip side of that. It's it's if you have confidence in yourself, you don't have to have all the answers and, and just go for it. Um, you know, whether that's uh, in relationships, very fortunate to have an amazing wife, uh, whether that's uh, setting personal goals for yourself or business. I mean, I, I've I've been very fortunate to have people in my life who've been very encouraging. And um, the, the reoccurring theme is, hey, just, just go for it and um, put everything you got into it and 
you know, put it in God's hands if you have to, but right on. You know, one day we're all going to be pushing daisies, so pull for it. I mean, uh, being in the scope of being responsible, but go for it. Right. Right. Love it. All right. And last question here is the time machine question. If you could go back in time to give your younger self advice, what age would you visit and what would you say? Uh, I would probably visit myself once I got out of the service and I would have said, go start a business immediately. Even if I was a plumbing or electrical contractor or something. Um, but I would have started, I would have started my first business prior to 2017. Uh, So early, early, closer to the turn of the decade. And, um, yeah, it's a bit personal, only so much as I realize that being a business owner suits my personality. I realize that's not for everybody. Um, also would have probably separate conversation of itself, but my kids were a lot younger. They're all out of the house today. Um, and it's hard when you have a spouse and you have kids because they do require your time. And I have an opinion that if you're, if you, you know, effectively agreed to enter those relationships, you're, you must give them your time. Um, but all things being equal, I know there are a number of people in my close circle know I feel strong about, um, being a business owner for a whole host of reasons. And I would have started it a lot sooner. We're going to unpack that within a separate episode. I'm sure. <laughs> no, this has been awesome. Christian, where can the audience reach you? So if you go out to the, uh, the website, it's uh fin, uh, F I N strat S T R A T and then MGMT short for management.com. Uh, and then Sean is a, as a courtesy for your listeners. Uh, if they go to the contact us page, you can see there's a drop down on there. It says, book a free CFO consultation. Um, if anyone who's venture back B2B SaaS um, would like to take advantage of some of our expertise, um, they're more than welcome. No expectations, no charge. Happy to, to listen and give feedback. Awesome. All right, Christian. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sean. We'll see you. Take care. Hey, I'd like to say thank you for checking out this podcast. I know there's a lot of other podcasts out there you could be listening to, so thanks for spending some time with me. And if you have a moment, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The more reviews we get, especially five-star reviews, the higher this podcast will rank in Apple. So thanks for doing that. And remember, this show is for entertainment purposes only. If you heard any stocks mentioned on this podcast, please do not buy or sell those stocks based solely on what you hear. All right. Thanks for your time. We'll see ya.